Good morning, everyone. I'm so thankful to be here among my family. Uh, you guys really are my church family. I love you guys so much, and I'm thankful to be here. Thankful for this opportunity uh, to be up here and, and to open the Word of God this morning. Um, this morning, we're going to be in Mark chapter 15, verses 33 through 39. And a little context as you're turning there. Um, the book of Mark is all about trying to discover who is this Jesus. And um, we're going to see that today, hopefully, uh, through God's Word. Um, So let's dive in. I'll read the Word, and then we're going to pray. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lema sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, behold, he is calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly, this man was the Son of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Dear Lord, we come before you this morning feeling the weight of this passage, the passage where we see the crucifixion of your Son. Father, we pray that you would bring us into this passage, that this passage would fill us up, and that we would feel the weight of it on our lives today. We pray right now that I would decrease and you might increase, Father, that your words would speak through me to all of us this morning, Father. In Jesus' name. Amen. So recently, I was invited to the club here in Birmingham. And I know some of you chuckling because it does have a name. It has a reputation, the club. Um, And when I was invited to this place, um, I didn't really know where I was going. Uh, Because I'm not from here. I'm from Georgia. So I didn't know the history, uh, the reputation of the club. But thankfully, I was wearing my church clothes that day, and I wasn't wearing my normal attire of ripped-up jeans and a Dale Earnhardt t-shirt. Because if I had showed up that way, even with my friend, I probably would have been kicked out. Um, And why is that the case? Well, the club has a reputation. Whether Whether you like that reputation or not, you know when you say the club that there's Uh, an exclusivity there. They have a standard that they hold to to maintain that reputation. And in a similar way, God has a standard that He uses to maintain His name. We sung about it this morning. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. He is worthy of our praise. But God's standard is not based off of social class, racial 
ethnicity. It's not based off of age, gender, how much money you make. It's not based off of blue jeans. No, God's standard is based on obedience to his law. And unfortunately, his law is perfect. And for us, that means we do not meet that standard. No matter how hard we try, we can't do it on our own. But knowing this, that we, his people, could not meet that standard, God has made a way for you and I. That's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to go through it, uh, through this passage. We're going to talk about the state of mankind, the darkness in our hearts. We're going to talk about the punishment that is due to us for that darkness. And then we're going to talk about the redemption of mankind, how God has secured that redemption for us. So let's look at the passage. Um, As we are kind of thrown into this passage, we're kind of dropped into the middle of it. The middle of this scene, Mark opens with, and when the sixth hour had come, Jesus has been hanging on the cross for three hours at this point. He has been tortured. He has been betrayed by all of his closest friends. He has been mocked, derided by the soldiers, by people passing by, and now he is alone in pain on the cross. And Mark tells us that when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land. Now, the sixth hour is not 6 p.m. The sixth hour is representative of noon by their calendar and their time. So this would have been high noon, total darkness over the land. Yesterday, I was driving back from Atlanta from a class, and as you're going down I-20, you can see the horizon for a long way, right? You knew it rained a lot yesterday, so as I was driving... I could see the dark clouds, but I could see a glimmer, right, of the sun. That is not what Mark is describing. Mark is describing darkness like a dark night with no moon. A darkness that you can't walk around in the dark. You can't see in front of you. That is the darkness that is present as Jesus is hanging on the cross in the middle of the day. This is a supernatural darkness. And it's not just a darkness uh, that is sim- symbolizing an ominous event, you know, kind of like the rain in Jurassic Park when the T-Rex is about to come eat somebody. No. This is much deeper than that. This darkness is a fulfillment of many Old Testament prophecies. We see one very clearly in the book of Amos. Amos was written 740 years before Christ. And in Amos 8, 9, we see, And on that day, I will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight. And we see this very thing happening as Jesus is hanging on the cross. And this darkness that Amos speaks about is a prophecy pointing to the judgment of Israel. Now, why is Israel being judged? Because of their rejection. Because of their rejection of their God, their Deliverer. We see this judgment because God is protecting His holy name. 
Because of this rejection by Israel, they are no longer worthy of being in his presence. They have rejected him over and over and over again. And this is not just indicative of Israel's heart. but This is indicative of all of mankind's hearts. All of our hearts are full of darkness. We see this pattern beginning with Adam. It doesn't take long before in Genesis 6, 5, we see God looking down on man and seeing that the thoughts of man's heart are only evil continually. Can you identify with that? I know that I can. I feel that in my very soul. The thoughts of my heart are evil. Knowing that, we are unable to remove this darkness from our own hearts. What should we do? Our rejection might look different than Israel's, right? We may not have set up a golden calf and worshipped it. But in a way, our rejection is just as dark. Maybe our rejection looks like basing our worth off of our performance, finding all of our goals in our job, in school, in our grades, sports, Or maybe it's the God of self, putting ourself on a pedestal, thinking we know what's best for us and rejecting the things that God has told us about himself and about what's best for us. Or maybe like the disciples, we have abandoned Jesus out of fear. All of these things, all of these rejections have made us unworthy and unable to commune with God. We are full of darkness. But in the midst of this darkness, God is at work. And praise be to God for that. He knew what was required to bring us back into a relationship with Him. And He is working it out on the cross in this very passage. As we continue, we see the punishment of man being taken, not by man, but by Christ by God himself. In verse 34, and at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lema sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? On the cross, Jesus took the punishment that was due for you and for me. He was forsaken by his Father. It is the reason why he came as we see in Matthew 1.21, for He will save His people from their sins. It was the reason He was born. It is the reason why He had to die. And He came to die not just physically, but to endure the total spiritual separation that you and I deserve. And He took that in His own soul. That total separation from God, His Father. We see this exemplified in 2 Corinthians 5.21 when Paul tells us, For our sake He made Him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. He took our place and brought us into the place of righteousness. He experienced that total 
spiritual abandonment that we deserved because of our rejection. Can you imagine this abandonment? When I was in middle school, I, um, I was feeling forsaken by my friends. Uh, I, I played baseball with these guys growing up. And then when I got to middle school, I was really clumsy. I couldn't play baseball as well as I used to. And my friends kind of rejected me. And it was hard. And I know that y'all have experienced this as well. You've experienced that feeling of being rejected, being forsaken, being abandoned. Jesus has felt that as well. And he's experienced it for all of us on our behalf. He knows that pain. He knows what it is like to call out to the Father and get no answer. And even in this moment of darkness, sadly, man's heart is being made even more clear. The darkness is being made even more evident, even while Jesus is taking that punishment. As we see in verse 35 and 36, and some of the bystanders hearing it said, Behold, he is calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed, and gave it to him to drink, saying, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And these bystanders, they have been mocking Jesus all day long as he hung there on the cross. And as they hear Jesus cry out, they misunderstand him and think he is calling out on Elijah, the prophet, not calling to God, his father. They misunderstand And in their attempt to continue to mock Jesus, they run and grab some sour wine. Now when I heard this, I was like, oh, that sounds like a punishment. But sour wine in that day was somewhat like Gatorade. The soldiers would drink it to quench their thirst so they could continue to fight. They could persevere. And so this sour wine was given to people on the cross to help them persevere, to help them fight against death. And so these people, they give it to Jesus, trying to help him to continue to fight death so that they can continue to mock him. The darkness is evident. And this is not just the darkness of these people's hearts, but this is the darkness in our own hearts. Our mocking may not be as blatant as these people standing before Jesus mocking him. But it is just as dark. How do we mock our Savior with our actions? Proving the darkness of our hearts. Maybe it's thinking that we are actually the ones in control. Maybe it's thinking that we are worthy of being in God's presence. Whatever it is, our hearts are dark. And as Jesus dies in verse 37, it says he utters a loud cry and breathes his last. As Jesus dies, God's punishment is complete. Jesus has taken the physical death, but more importantly, the total spiritual abandonment that was necessary, that was due for you and for me. That wrath of God has been fully poured out on Jesus. 
and he has breathed his last. But thanks be to God, the story doesn't end there. The curtain of the temple is torn in two from top to bottom. Wait, why are we talking about curtains? This curtain is a symbol, a beautiful symbol that the Israelites would have known. As we look back to the Old Testament to better understand this symbol, we see that in the temple, the place where the Israelites would have met God, where God was dwelling, His dwelling place. There was a curtain separating the holy place, the most holy place, from where everyone else was. This curtain represented the separation that was necessary between God and His people because of the sin of the people. The only way anyone might enter into the most holy place was through a long ritual that is laid out for us in Leviticus 16. The high priest would go through all of these different sacrifices, cleansings, all of these things. Why? Because God is holy and His name will not be tarnished. And man is sinful. The curtain represents our inability to approach God. But through the death of Christ... The curtain was torn in two. He has made a way for us to again be in the presence of God. As we see in Hebrews 9.12, Jesus entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of His own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. This is not a temporary redemption. This is not a redemption that we have to add to. This is an eternal redemption that God Himself has secured for us. And not only does Jesus leave us there saying, all right, you can go in now. Go on in. No, Jesus puts His arm around us and walks with us into the very throne room of God, escorting us. He says in Hebrews 9.24, for Christ has entered not into the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Jesus is there for us, on our behalf. He is there with us as we approach the throne of grace. Jesus, now alive, stands with us before God, justifying us by His sacrifice. Sin, the darkness in our hearts, has no more claim on our life. Jesus loves us so much, He was willing to die so that you and I could stand beside Him. He would be our advocate before God the Father. As Jesus breathes His last, the curtain is torn, the way is open. We hear the centurion speak. This man, the centurion, he doesn't know anything about prophecies, rituals, sacrifices, curtains. He's not a religious man. He's a Roman soldier. But this man still recognizes the power 
of Christ on that cross. He says, as Jesus breathes His last, and in the way in which He did, the centurion says, truly this man was the Son of God. The divinity of Christ was evident even to this Roman soldier who knew nothing of religion. This atonement for our sin, this payment for our sin, could only come through God. It could not come through any man. We can't do it. No one can do it for us. It was God that had to come and do it. Sacrifice for us. Make that way possible. And God Himself took the punishment we deserved and has brought us into His family. We have been adopted by the Father and brought into the eternal love of the Trinity. We do not meet the standard of God on our own. And unlike my trip to the club, we can't take a shower and dress ourselves up in order to get in. The only way you or I can enter into that throne room, the very throne room of God, is through faith in Jesus. It is by the sacrifice of Jesus on that cross that we are now called friends of God. And not only does Jesus clothe us in righteousness, but He walks with us into the very presence of God. On our own, our hearts are only filled with darkness. But by trusting in Jesus Christ for our salvation from the eternal separation due to us, we can be brought into the family of God. Maybe you've never trusted in Jesus. You've lived your life not knowing why you continue to find yourself longing for something better, even though you have searched everywhere. This call is for you. Trust in Jesus as your Savior and Lord today and find peace with God. Maybe you've been a Christian for a long time, and yet the sins of your past or your present are eating away at you. You still feel the shame and guilt related to your sin. My friend, Jesus was forsaken for you. And if you have put your faith and trust in Him. Those sins have been separated from you as far as the east is from the west. They have been thrown into the depths of the sea never to be associated with you again. Jesus was forsaken for you and for me so that we would never be forsaken by God. The curtain of the temple was torn in two. And it is the assurance that we now have access to God and the presence of Jesus at our side before the throne of God is our assurance that we are forgiven forever. My friends, as we depart, I want us to all reflect on this. Our hearts are darker than we can ever know. But we are more loved than we could ever imagine. Let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you so much for this sacrifice that you made for us. God, we are not worthy to be in your presence, but God, you have made a way for it to be possible, and we praise you for that.
All these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.